Welcome to the second week of our Words to Live By series. We're going to get in tonight into this wonderful topic of money, which I know you've already heard about. But let me start it by asking you the same question that was asked last week, which is this. If you could ask for anything and know that it would be given to you, what would you ask for? Well, God once asked a guy called Solomon that question. Solomon was a king. He was a new king. He was an inexperienced king. He was the son of a great king, King David. And God said to Solomon, whatever you want, ask, I'll give it to you. And Solomon realized that the greatest thing that he needed was wisdom. Wisdom would help him with everything else. And so much so that when he got it, people traveled from miles, literally hundreds of miles around to come and see him and to hear his wisdom because it was absolutely extraordinary. And that wisdom was recorded. He wrote it down in a book that we have in the Bible, a book called Proverbs. And the last week, Sarah introduced it here and Simon introduced it over at East. And, and Simon uh, coined the phrase that Proverbs is really the book of God tweets. And uh, I thought that's quite a good term, really. So, so we'll let, we'll, let's dive into the book of God tweets. Written 3,000 years ago, and these statements transcend time and culture, and they deal with every single aspect of our life. And last week, we looked at work, and tonight, we look at money. Now, when we're talking about money, if you could ask anything you want, most of us would probably, if we were honest, would say, well, yeah, I'd like to win lotto or something like that. And that would clear my student debt or my mortgage or whatever it was. Interesting fact is that most people who win lotto, about three quarters of them lose everything and end up worse off than they were before they started, which makes you think that there's far more to success in life than simply money in your bank balance, which is what we get into tonight. So, first of all, what is money? Well, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand tells us on their website, a very useful little YouTube clip, it tells us that money is a reliable means of exchange used to pay for an item or a service. You never knew. It's a useful way of measuring what something is worth. It's a store of value. It can be seen as the lifeblood of the modern economy. I find that money just seems to be something I want or something I don't have enough of. And it seems to have a life and a magnetism of its own. There was a journalist named George Lorimer who said this. He said, it's good to have money and the things that money can buy. But it's good too to check up once in a while and make sure you haven't lost the things that money can't buy. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Well over 2,000 statements, in fact. Probably because money is a source both of joy in misery, it's a source of goodness and evil. Possibly the most well-known verse in the Bible is 1 Timothy 6.10 when it comes to money, which says this, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And both people who know and trust the Bible and those who don't often misquote this verse by saying something along the lines of money is the root of all evil. And it's like there's, this, there's enough evidence in the world to suggest that money and evil are connected at the hip. But you know, the Bible tells us that although the love of money leads to a whole lot of different types of evil, money itself isn't all bad. In fact, money is neither good nor bad. Money just is. It's how you use it or how it uses you that determines whether it produces good or bad in your life. 
And when we look at the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that Proverbs brings when we're thinking about money and our relationship to us, it seems that there are four major categories that we can look at. We're going to look at these tonight. We're going to look tonight at planning and trusting. Is it good planning? Is good planning opposed to trusting God's provision? We're going to look at blessing and wealth. Is financial wealth an indicator of God's blessing? We're going to look at generosity and stewardship. How how are we to treat what we have? And lastly, we're going to look at the question of contentment. What is enough in our life? And as we do this, the way we're going to do it is we're going to listen to the life experience from people, people of all different ages and stages in life and finances. And they're going to magically appear on the screens, right? We captured them. We put them into a little box, and they're all sitting there waiting, ready to appear on the screen so that you can see them in the next few moments. And the people that you're going to hear from, let me just tell you a bit about them. Alan McKenzie is an anaesthetist who is, how should we say it? He's nearer the end of his working life from the beginning of it. Liz Smale is a business owner with her husband. Nikki Reese thomas is a full-time mum with three young children. Leon Becker works uh, in this sort of executive function up at the university. Sam and Ruth White, they're recently married and they're in the early stages of their careers. And Sam Leonard is a company owner and he's also operations manager here at church. You're going to hear from all of those people tonight. So let's dive straight into it. First question, planning and trusting. Is it good planning or should we simply trust God for what we need? Well, book of Proverbs gives us the following wisdom. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says that the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You know, quick decisions, bad decisions, right? Take time, plan leads to profit. Proverbs 11 verse 28, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Right? I don't know if you have a vision of being a green leaf, but if you're righteous, you will thrive like one. Proverbs 13 verse 11 tells us that dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. You know, at the stage of life that most of you are at, that's such an important one to get a hold of. As you start saving now and as you just put away a little by little, the compounding interest over the years means that you actually create good wealth. These are all good things you can do. That's planning. So therefore, how should we approach saving? What are the priorities that we need to focus on? And how does this all fit together with trusting God for everything in our life? Watch the screen. With trusting God with your future. Well, we continue to save money in the superannuation scheme I've been part of soon after I started earning. And just as Joseph did for Pharaoh in the seven years of plenty before the seven years of famine, we're saving up for the in the years of plenty for a time we expect to come when I will no longer be earning. So, is my retirement a certainty? No. If my life in medicine's taught me anything, it's that there is no guarantee for anyone about what today, let alone tomorrow, will bring. Ever since I can remember, I have made plans for the future. As a child and as an adult, in my mind, I have always linked savings to planning. I grew up with parents who both came from backgrounds that knew poverty. As a result, they were very careful with what they spent their money on. Right back from when I can remember my siblings and I getting money for doing chores, 
we were taught that a certain portion of that money had to go into the offering plate at church each week and a certain portion of it had to be saved each week. It was from the leftover after those two deposits were made that we were allowed to spend our chore money. I am so thankful that mum and dad taught me these two principles and that those principles have stayed with me. I don't think that planning and saving conflicts with trusting God for my future. Making sure that ultimately your trust is still in God and that's where um, I guess the source of of your peace comes from as well. It's not in the fact that you can tackle anything that comes your way because you plan for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how easy that is to do in reality, but I think that sounds good. In the past, um, when we were um, newly married and bought our first house, um, I was very um, focused on planning out our financial direction. So I would be planning out to know when would we be freehold of our house and then when would we be saving for our retirement and then would we have enough to live on through our retirement and um, almost planning every aspect of our finances through our whole life expectancy. And I think I've come to a change lately um, where I've realised that by controlling my finances to that level means I may end up missing what God's calling me to. And now I've found that the priority for me is following God's calling on my life and trusting in him that he's actually going to provide all all of our needs. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to manage our finances and um, have good stewardship around them, but it does mean that we can rely that God's always going to be the provider for what we need. I like the statement from um, Sam and Ruth. It's not easy. And the question that comes from this is, what's at the foundation of your life that you actually trust in. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it tells us, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant. In other words, not to, not to think that you have everything together, not to think that you are untouchable, or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And Jesus In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, puts it this way. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying you can do whatever you want here on earth, but ultimately it could be stolen, it could decay, it could get destroyed. He says, store up instead for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and don't steal. The point he's making is this. If our security is based on anything that is corruptible or anything that can lose its value or be lost, i.e. money, then really it is no security at all. It's interesting in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, it tells us to not wear ourselves out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. But cast a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off into the sky like an eagle. And at my stage of life, imagining my KiwiSaver fund to sprout wings and fly off like an eagle is something that makes me feel a little nervous. But the Bible invites us to put our trust in what is eternal, to put our trust in God, 
put our trust in him completely because he is the only one that is actually trustworthy and faithful. So the question here right at the outset becomes this, where is your trust? Is your trust in your dollars or is your trust in God? So then the second question around blessing and wealth. And you see, there is this question of financial wealth and blessing because people sometimes equate financial wealth with God's blessing. And you could argue the point from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, where it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And it sounds like you know, if you put a bit of money in the plate every Sunday, you better go out and build a barn because it'll be filled. And you better go out and buy some vats because they're going to overflow with new wine. Now, I don't think that's exactly what it's saying, but what's the point? Because there is a lot of talk out there which says, you know, you give and God will give back. What What is the deal with this? Well, I wonder what you think. Let me tell you, here's what the panel thinks. What do you think the relationship is between God's blessing and wealth? Um, I think the problem um, when we think about God's blessing and wealth is we so often only tie God's blessing to financial wealth. And I feel that God blesses us in so many other ways in our life that we can actually be wealthy in other forms of blessing than just finance. Um, So there can be times where God can actually um, be blessing us significantly um, when we're even being provided with less finance. So for me, um, trusting in God's blessing is more than just a financial focus. Do you know, some of the poorest people I've met in this world walk in and experience just God's God's blessing in phenomenal ways. And also many people that I've met who have a lot of money walk in and experience God's blessing in incredible ways. And so I think the Bible does teach that one of the ways God blesses is through wealth. But it also teaches that God blesses us through suffering, through hardship. God blesses us through community, through opportunity. And so I think we need to be careful that our hearts don't get set on assuming that if wealth is increasing, that is absolutely a sign of God's blessing. The dictionary describes wealth as an abundance of something desirable. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who are materially wealthy in his Sermon on the Mount. He did, though, say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Earthly financial wealth is not a direct consequence of faith in God, nor lack of wealth a result of lack of faith. God's wisdom will lead you to make decisions that will make the very best of whatever you have been given. That may make you wealthy in the world's eyes. That said, Jesus did not come to earth to die on a cross to give me monetary riches. Proverbs 22 verse 2 says this, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. There is no sense in the Bible where it says, if you have, you're more blessed than if you don't. And so that is really important to hold on to. What we learn from this then is that wealth is 
not so much a blessing as it is a tool to be used, something to be wisely administered. So then the next logical question is, well, how do we do this? How do we wisely administer what God has given us, which leads to the generosity and stewardship question? And in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it tells us this, that we are not to withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. What that means is this. If you have something and you come across someone who needs it and it's in your power to give it, give it. In Proverbs 22, verse 9, it says this, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. There is this command right throughout the Bible to be open-handed, to be generous with what we have. In Proverbs 28, verse 22, it says, The stingy are eager to get rich and unaware that poverty awaits them. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Now, if this wealth that we have is to be used wisely as a tool, how do we do this? Have a listen. So what does generosity look like when you're also practicing wise stewardship? The steward doesn't own what he looks after. Stewardship's always about making resource decisions that advance kingdom objectives while remembering that God loves to give good gifts to his children. And just as we as parents want to bring our own children to maturity, so God wants to bring us to maturity so we have both his life in us and the fruits of the Spirit are obvious in us. The resources I've been given to manage aren't mine and to send them where and when God tells me is my obedience and his generosity. I think about a quote from a guy called John Wesley and he says, earn as much as you can or make as much as you can, save as much as you can or invest as much as you can so you can give as much as you can. And I like that um, order of priorities, and I hold that in balance constantly. And I've got to be honest, this is a very real tension for me, kind of on a monthly basis. James and I try and um, operate a cash system with our budgeting. We have a budget that we, we stick to, we aim to stick to every month, and then we review it every month. I've got my little spreadsheet and we sit down and we go through and it's very telling what the priorities of your heart have been every month when you review where you actually spent your money and you, you recalibrate for the coming month. In my mind, giving and stewardship is an essential part of being God's hands in God's feet for right now. Sometimes it's by giving away things that we either no longer need or don't need as much as others might need. So... For example, you know, being able to um, bless others with clothes that we no longer need or in one case, um, an unneeded motorbike, um, a washing machine, and even helping to build uh, and uh, plant a vegetable patch for someone. You know? There are lots of ways in which you can be generous with your time and money that aren't necessarily um, directly about just giving dollar bills. So here's the biblical invitation when it comes to money. Be in control and use the money that you have to further the reputation of God in and through your life. If you viewed all your money, great question. If you viewed all your money, not as yours, but as entrusted to you to bless others and to impact them for the Lord, as well as providing for yourself, what would change? What would be different in the way that you would approach them? 
Well, to do this requires planning and requires budgeting so that you have a realistic understanding of where your money goes. And there's a great quote here I like, that you should always remember that a budget is a mathematical confirmation of your suspicions. Right? It might be that the cap money course is something that would be worth doing. And I know that um, for Sarah and I many years ago, when we, we went into a cash system and it transformed the way that we ran our finances. And so it's not something you say, well, that's what somebody else needs. I, I can't think of a person who wouldn't benefit from going through the discipline of putting themselves into a budget system in terms of the way that you run your finances. So seriously, that would be a brilliant course for every single one of us here in this room. That leads us to the final question, this idea of contentment. Is contentment actually possible? Is it possible in our day and age to be happy? Well, here's a couple of uh, stunning quotes from people who really thought they've got this sorted out. A woman called Gertrude Stein said this, whoever said that money can't buy happiness simply didn't know where to go shopping. And then a guy called Will Rogers said, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Sadly, slightly truer than probably what we'd like to admit. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 continues the same thought. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So with that as a backdrop, what are some great ideas and approaches when it comes to living a content life? Again, watch the screen. Tell us about the journey you've experienced in learning contentment. I love that word, contentment. It's one of my um, desires and goals. And it is a journey, and I'm still learning. By no means have I made it. For me, I have a wall of inspiration in my kitchen. And one of the quotes that I have on that wall says, gratitude turns everything into enough. And one of the keys to contentment for me is gratitude. And I have to train my heart to stop looking and comparing to other people and to choose to set my eyes on the things God has given me and to say thank you. And that fosters contentment in my heart. And for me, one of the times this happens, just getting really practical, is when I go to the grocery store and I bring home our groceries for the week and I put them away in the cupboard in the fridge and I often pause and I say, thank you, God, that we have the ability to buy groceries for our family, to feed our kids. And it's fostering that attitude of gratitude that helps me to be content. There have been some times in my life where I have not known like how I was going to get through the next few months and God, God has provided for me. Um, and I think like, yeah, so having those experiences to draw on when I can feel myself getting worried or anxious about finances and just remembering that, um, yeah, I've been in this situation before and God's provided and um, also hearing stories of like other people where they've experienced similar things. For me, I would say it's something that I have to, actively remind myself like I I I'm not always content like but when I start to feel anxious I can bring down my anxieties 
back to contentment by drawing on, yeah, experiences of God's faithfulness in the past. I think we've learned that it's fine for us um, to get what we need, and there's a difference between need and want. Uh, that's something that we learned pretty early on as well. God's promise is that he will supply our needs, uh, but he doesn't promise to supply all our wants. And uh, being able to live below our means has also meant frequently that we've been prepared to do things like uh, if we need something, we get something secondhand. We don't necessarily buy it brand new. In fact, there's almost a, a kind of a game involved in trying to make sure that we avoid uh, paying the full amount for anything. Look for discounts, look for being able to sell something to subsidize a purchase, um, look for ways of being able to generate some additional income uh, as a way of being able to afford to purchase something. And this has been really helpful for us in terms of, of uh, contentment, because it means that many of the possessions we have are actually uh, reminders and testimonies of how God has blessed us in the, the acquisition or the purchase of those things. Hospital car parks are full of expensive cars. Mercedes, Porsches, Audis, even the odd McLaren. Mine's the 1996 Honda Odyssey with a scratch bumper at 300k on the clock. It runs reliably, converts from a people carrier to a van in 10 minutes. It can carry a sandy wet dog, a muddy mountain bike or a pile of rubbish. It's a very functional tool. It does what I need it to do. I'm not defined by my car, nor my house, nor my clothes nor by how much money I have, nor how many toys I have, nor how beautiful my wife is, nor how clever or successful my children. Vanity. Vanity. All is vanity. I am defined by the fact that I'm a child of God. Yeah, when it comes to money, Alan's comments there are so insightful. What defines us? controls us. If we're defined by what we have, or we're defined by our past, or by our perceived wealth, or our worth, then that thing or those things control us. We live to appease them, we live to feed them, we live to serve them. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's the bottom line in terms of wisdom of the Bible with regard to money. View it as a tool. You receive it in exchange for the work you do or the wise investments you make, and then you either serve the money or you tame the money so that you can pursue God's vision for your life. Actually, your attitude towards money and your expenditure of money is an incredibly great test of who you really do serve. So, what defines you? What you have or who you trust? Next week, we're going to look at words. We're going to look at the power of words and in the following couple of weeks after that, we're looking at friendship and then we're looking at character. 
So if there are people who, who you know who would love to hear about words or character or friendship, bring them along. And by the way, if you're interested in exploring the Christian faith, maybe you're here tonight and you don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have this wonderful course called Christianity Explored. And we'd love for you to get involved and get connected. You can sign up online or make contact with any of us here or uh, email the office at thestreet.org.nz. And we would love uh, to help you understand the claims of Jesus Christ, to learn what it is to live a truly wise life, which is in relationship with him. Yeah, I'm going to close in a minute prayer. And after I've done that, I want to invite you to come for prayer for two things. Firstly, it might be to do with finances. You may have sat here tonight and thought, you know what, I really need to set the reset button. I just need to, to take a fresh look at the way I'm doing this. And one of the great things you could do straight away is to have someone pray for you, just simply to say, God, would you give this person the tenacity and the strength to go through and follow through with the decisions they're making? You might be here tonight and there might be other things going on. We had an incredible worship time. God was moving powerfully by his spirit. And it may have been that through that time that there were some things that God was unlocking in you. It might be to do with the, just the, the security of your life. It might be to do with things that have gone on in your friendship group. It might be some really dark thinking that you're having. Can I encourage you, if you were in that place as we were worshiping, that there is a wonderful team of people who would love just to pray with you and pray for you. And please don't leave without getting that kind of, of care and attention around the family. So with all that in mind, let's stand together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you, Father, that you have a plan for our lives. We thank you, Father, that you instruct us and help us to live wisely. And that is not just a, a narrow aspect of our life. That's the totality of our lives, and it includes our finances. So, Father, tonight I pray that you would give us wisdom to live well with our finances, not to serve them, but to have them serve us, not to be controlled by them, but to control them, not to be driven by the accumulation of them, but rather to see them as a tool entrusted to us for the extension of the kingdom of God in and through us. And Father, I pray tonight too that you would give us strength to make wise decisions. And I pray, Father, that for any of us that, that need right here, right now in this moment, to sense a touch of the Spirit of God. Father, and whatever that might be, that God, you would give us the invitation, the joy, the desire to reach out to Father, we ask these things in your incredible name. Amen. Amen.